welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Good morning, everybody. How are we today? Doing all right? Good to see you. Good to see you. My name is Micah, if we have not met. I'm one of the pastors here at Awaken. And uh, if you're new, uh, welcome. We're really glad you're here. Uh, if you are willing, we'd love to know that you are here, and you can do that by uh, going on the website, awakenwest7th.com. There's an I'm new button about halfway down the homepage there. If you click that, fill it out. Um, somebody from our team will connect with you and let you know, uh, well, you would let us know that you're here, and then we'd like to invite you out for a beverage of your choice to get to know you a little bit. Um, so if you could do that, that would be great. If you have tithes and offerings, um, you can also give online. We really appreciate that. Um, that's all for announcements. I want to begin this morning with a call to worship. And I was telling the first hour that uh, this call to worship is mostly for me. Um, and, I'm, and I'm trusting that it will also be for you. Um, I don't know about you, but uh, sometimes it feels like life goes a million miles an hour. And there's just all kinds of things happening all the time. And um, this passage in Mark, uh, for whatever reason... When I get into a season like this or a moment like this, this verse just sort of always comes to my mind. And um, so I want to read it this morning, and I want to invite you into um, a place of imagination, thinking um, about seeing in your mind's eye the things that you're hearing, and really uh, trying to be in the story, trying to be um, in what's being described. So maybe if you would, uh, just take a moment. And a couple of deep breaths, and um, I'd invite you to close your eyes. And maybe you came from life that was crazy. Maybe things are perfect. Maybe things are super peaceful for you. Either way, um, I want to invite you to imagine being in this story. The disciples are talking with Jesus in Mark chapter 6, and Mark writes, the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. And then, because so many people were coming and going, they didn't even have a chance to eat. He said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place, and I will give you rest. What would it mean for you this morning to hear the voice of God say, come with me to a quiet place, to a place that is still, and I will give you rest. I hope that that's what you get this morning. So welcome to Awaken. Let's stand together and sing. The pleasure of introducing to you um, who's going to be our featured artist in residence. Um, for those of you that are maybe new around here, we have a really um, rich community of creatives that come to Awaken and we like to feature them from time to time. So if you would please um, welcome Emma Kaiser up to the stage. She's our artist in residence. She's a poet. She does a lot of creative writing. She's getting her MFA from the U of M right now, which is pretty big deal. So uh, look at our Instagram page, our Artists of Awaken Instagram page to see her poetry featured over the next month or so. And then I would love for you to introduce yourself and read a poem for us this morning, Emma. 
Good morning, everyone. I'm Emma Kaiser. Uh, thank you so much to Awaken for having me this morning and to Mel for inviting me to uh, get to share some poetry in this space. Um, I was asked beforehand just to speak a little bit to um, what, how I find God in my artistic life. And I've been writing poems pretty much as long as I knew enough words to form sentences, but I think it took a lot longer in my upbringing for me to give myself full permission to think of myself as an artist. I've been reading uh, writings of Plato recently, not necessarily for pleasure, but for a graduate seminar. And I've, I've been finding it so interesting because Plato, as well as many uh, early Christian writers of Rome had this suspicion and often criticism of poetry. Plato believed all art to be imitation and therefore a form of deception, and he feared it would draw people away from what he perceived to be human ideals, namely virtue, reason, consistency. And though I believe in art's ability to make us more empathetic, less self-centered, and potentially better people, I also don't think that that's art's primary aim. I believe art's purpose is to make and communicate meanings, to help us more fully and deeply experience our own humanness, to understand what it means to be alive in this life, in this body, and help us become more attentive to the profound and even terrible beauty of the world. But the problem is that it's hard, if not impossible, to believe in the value of art if your theology, like the one I was raised in, firstly believed in and emphasized the evil of the flesh, saw pleasure and all forms of sensuality as an opening to sin, and called true Christians not to love the world or anything in it. How, as a poet, was I supposed to hate the world when I found so much wonder and divine beauty there? How could I give honest expression to my heart if my heart was inherently deceitful? How could I celebrate and give form to what it means to be human with all its complexities and depths and simultaneously believe my own flesh to be evil, wicked, depraved? Ultimately, it has been my art and my writing that has most informed the way I seek and experience the presence of the divine. And it's the reason I don't believe in a harsh dichotomy of the flesh and spirit. And it's what allows me to better recognize the spirit and the image of God in myself and others in creation. I'm going to share a poem this morning that perhaps uh, gets to that a little better than anything I've just said. But this is a poem I've called Hunger Pains. It's hanging in the back. You can look at it afterward. But um, thank you. One day, I grew so at home in my longing, I could no longer stomach satisfaction. I welcomed the shape of my hollowness, my body made stranger to content. What greatness, I thought, and what glory could come from the appetite of an insatiate soul? Until famine turned sweeter than, fe sweeter than feast, like a starving dog who's laid so long with his bone that he won't part with it for meat. Each day, I waited for a suffering to raise me up to God, and each day, suffering appeared more like salvation itself. It looked like the legend of my uncle, the lifelong dairy farmer and Catholic, how he built himself a cross of railroad ties and fence wire 
carried it on his bare back up the Golgotha of his cow pasture, up the spring slick of mud and manure, the cattle gazing blankly on. They, the only witness to his self-made redemption, saltwater baptism, his body sweating and toiling for his sins. He ascended the hill of his wretchedness, then lived forever in its shadow. I grew to despise the sight of that cross, fixed like penance over the field, the way it marred so much green abundance. Instead, I began offering prayers to the land, which never expected sanctity through scarcity, but always lifted its face to the rain, ready to receive everything it was given. Thank you. All right. If you want to make your way back to your seats, that would be great. Tomorrow, actually... You know that, that song we sing over the kiddos, it's for the kids, um, and yet, uh, tomorrow there'll be a funeral in this space for, I think, 81, Sylvia Bailey, who some of you knew, um, recently passed, and um, she asked that that song be sung at her funeral tomorrow, so that's going to happen right here. Um, so it's for all of us, right? May we have eyes to see. Um, in just a moment, I'm going to uh, ask you to welcome my friend, uh, Pastor Kelly Chapman, back. Uh, he's going to share this morning. Uh, before I do that, though, um, we were recently thinking about all the actors and actresses in our community and um, brainstorming, thinking, how can we include their voices in the, in the gathering more? And uh, every week, a scripture is read. Typically, we study a passage of scripture, and we thought, huh, that's, that would be a good way to do that. And so... Um, Offered that to some folks who uh, who do this in their work uh, day to day, and uh, they they would be delighted to do that. So, uh, this morning I'll invite Joy Donnelly, and she's going to read the passage that we'll study this morning. And then after that, if you would welcome my friend, Reverend Kelly Chapman. So, Joy, if you would come. If you are able, will you please stand for the reading of the word? Our reading comes from Mark 9, verses 30 to 37. They left that place and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching his disciples. He said to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days he will rise. But they did not understand what he meant and were afraid to ask him about it. They came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, What were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet, because on the way, they had argued about who was the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. He took a little child whom he placed among them. Taking the child in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. You may be seated.
grace, peace, and mercy from God, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Um, I want to begin by saying thank you to the tech team. I, uh, in the earlier service, you know, they, uh, they and uh, Pastor Micah, Micah had done a lot to like set up my, my uh, sound. And, uh, and when I sit up here, I saw the, the handheld, so I immediately assumed that I should use the handheld. And all the work that they'd done before in setting it up was void. Uh, and, and I mention that because think about how we tend to live our life in patterns. And uh, there's so much that God prepares us for, uh, but uh, we, we pick up the mic and, and we just do the things that we're oriented to do or the ways that first come to us. And we forget all of the investment and the discipline that it goes into actually living our faith uh, in adherence to the gospel. And, and when I say the gospel, we're talking about a reality that transcends the boundaries of race and class and culture and orientation and all those things that, that we, we come into the, the world and our daily activities like kind of on automatic. And, uh, and all of that preparation from our Sunday school teacher our pastors, our parents, kind of goes out the window because we're so oriented by our cultural way of doing things. I, I'm reminded of a uh, story that I, I shared before during Lent about uh, when I was a child and I was growing up uh, in Detroit, uh, my parents had migrated from the, the agricultural south to the industrial north. So we were getting grounded in Detroit and uh, because my parents had resettled, they were part of this great migration from the south, we didn't have a regular church home. And so we would go to church as a family on Easter Sunday. And so our parents would gather us up, we'd have nice new clothes on, and we'd march to the nearest uh, church that happened to be a Baptist church. And uh, so, and, but the rest of the year, we didn't go to church but my father had a rule that if we wanted to go to the movies, uh, that we had to go to the church on Sunday. And we'd have to do that on our own. And so my brothers and I, we said, we didn't go to church to really go to church. We called it taking a dive. <laughs> it's what we did in order to get what we really wanted, which was to go to the movies. And then my, my family, we moved to a new neighborhood in Detroit. And uh, I was sitting in seventh grade. And I was not a particularly religious child. And I was sitting and I was listening to my classmate, a boy named Willie Woods. And Willie was describing how pretty the girls were in his Sunday school. Well, I wasn't very religious, but when Willie described how pretty those girls were, I felt a conversion coming on. <laughs> so I invited myself to visit Willie's church, and I walked about a mile to Willie's church. And it was in this really nice neighborhood called Indian Village. And we described the houses as mansions when we were growing up. And uh, so I, I walked up to the church according to Willie's directions. And, uh, and it didn't picture, it didn't match my picture of Willie. So I, I mustered up my courage. I walked up to the door and I opened the door and I immediately heard children singing. So I thought, well, maybe this is the place. So I walked down the steps, and I could hear the children singing. I walked down the hall. I just followed the voices of those children. And just as I rounded the, the corner, there stood the entire Sunday school. 
and nobody looked like me. They were from another tribe, if you know what I mean. And as I was standing there, and I, the only thing I was thinking at the moment was, I'm going to kill Willie Woods. I, I thought that he had set me up. Right? And as I was thinking about how I would make my exit, two Sunday school teachers came over to me, and they gave me some material about somebody named Martin Luther. And they escorted me to the front of the entire Sunday school. And the Sunday school began to sing these words. There's a welcome here. There's a welcome here. There's a Christian welcome here. When I think about today's gospel story, and I think about Jesus and his disciples, and they're marching uh, from a mountain where Jesus had experienced his transfiguration, and, and for the disciples, it's a clear uh, affirmation that Jesus is the Son of God. He's the Messiah. And as the disciples are on their way back to Capernaum, where Jesus' home was, uh, they had this debate about which of them was the greatest, uh, kind of a food fight uh, about who was the, the top of the food chain. And as they get to Capernaum, Jesus asks the disciples, what were you talking about? Well, they don't really want to expose themselves to Jesus for their um, competitive behavior. But then Jesus begins to talk to them about the qualities, the values of being a leader. And he says, whoever would be first among you must be last. Then what Jesus does is sitting around with his disciples, he looks over and he invites a child and he sits that child on his lap and he says, whoever would welcome me welcomes the one who sent me, welcomes a child. I think about this in terms of our grounding this morning about being the welcoming people of God. But a challenge is, so often we welcome people that look like us and think like us and share our politics. And we don't do what we're called to do, to expand the circle to invite those who are different, those who would, don't fit the paradigm of the way that the world would tell us to function and to act. So early this morning, I talked about that, that if there's a word that you carry from this service, I hope that you would carry the word disruption. <laughs> that our calling as a people of God is to carry the disruptive reality of Jesus Christ. Those places where we find comfort, those places where, where we would expect that the church or our job or our neighborhoods or our communities look like us, we need to disrupt that behavior and say that the world is to look more like God, to look more like the community that God extends to everybody, transcending the boundaries of race and class and social orientation. That's disruptive. Somebody here knows what I'm talking about. When I think about this story about the child or I think about my own story, I think about for those who uh, have a sense of entitlement of 
what the church is supposed to be, what the world is supposed to look like, who's supposed to benefit from the economy or our government, whatever it is, those who, who think that, that it's somehow to be defined by our orientation of the world, God is a, a, a word of disruption. But to the child, to the person who's excluded, who doesn't feel the embrace of a culture, it's a word of liberation. Are we the disruptive reality, God? Or are we the liberating word of God? I'm so thankful that uh, uh, a little over a year ago, I, I didn't look it up in my calendar to see when it happened. I, I got a phone call from uh, Pastor Micah. And it's been a relationship of disruption. His schedule, my schedule. His world, my world. His challenges, my challenges. But seeking that intersection that is the reality of God. There's a, there's a, a, a diagram that I wanted to share with you this morning called the cycle of oppression. It's a, it's a diagram that talks about, and um, I invite disruption even as you're sitting in your pews this morning. So uh, this, as ideally, it's interactive. Right? So, so I'm, I want to, maybe that's a wake up for some of you, uh, 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 or discomfort, or maybe a liberation. But the cycle goes like this. It begins at the top of the cycle. It is, um, it's targeting. Another word for targeting might be stereotyping, stigmatizing. Um, and so there's a person or group that we target, we stereotype. Um, and then the next part of that cycle, that quadrant, is uh, misinformation. So that based on our targeting, we attach misinformation to a person or a group. Then the next part of that cycle, uh, the bottom of it, is uh, justified mistreatment based on the misinformation. And then finally, the, target, target, the cycle gets uh, filled with what's called internalized behavior. So the example is if I have a, a dog, and, and if every time I kick my dog, sooner or later I will approach my dog, and what will my dog act like? It's going to act like it did something wrong. It's going to expect to be kicked. So uh, just to make this simple, um, I'm going to walk through this cycle a couple of times with you. So just to make it simple, let's say the targeting is females. And if I, I think about females, and let's say the misinformation is maybe driving. So what's some misinformation about female drivers? They can't do it. They're not good drivers, right? So, and then the justified mistreatment would be, in the example of growing up in my family with my father, guess who always drove the car? Right? The internalized behavior is, my mother didn't drive. Okay, you're not getting it yet. Okay, let's, let's say you go to the grocery store and, and uh, the misinformation 
as you look at the magazines in the grocery store, what do the women look like? Thin, emaciated, glamorous, whatever that is. The justified mistreatment is, if you don't fit that profile, what's the justified mistreatment? Pardon? Don't have value, uh, sexualize them, uh, uh, call them uh, unattractive, whatever, uh, and the turn internalized behavior. Do you know the term anorexia bulimia? The cycle of oppression. So um, we'll do one more. <laughs> um, maybe a little more complicated, maybe not. Let's say George Floyd. If I'm a policeman, what might be misinformation about George Floyd? It's a threat. It's a criminal. Huh? He's in a gang. Uh, he does drugs. Right? Then what then might be the justified mistreatment? Maybe we don't need to do that one. The George Floyds, the black and brown children and youth. Let's do children and youth. What's misinformation about children and youth? They're lazy, they're not intelligent, they're invisible. Um, they justify mistreatment in the church. Don't put them in the leadership roles. Don't see them. And, um, don't, that the highest level of leadership engagement for a young person is to light the candles. And the internalized behavior, as soon as you finish in our tradition confirmation, I'm out of here. Do children set that up? No, we do. And so, so often I think about when, when, uh, when I look at a protest or I go to a protest and I see all these young people. And I hear churches lamenting that young people are not in the church anymore. And I think about how many of those young people in the protests came out of our pews, come out of our Sunday school. And that's where they can exhibit the faith that we embedded in them when they were children. They're christening. And because we don't provide those outlets in the church, their option is to provide it out in the streets, cycle of oppression. I share that because this text today is about Jesus, the Son of God, the one who was sent by God into our world, and he's confronting the cycle of oppression. In this story, it happens to be about children. In other stories, it might be about a woman at the well. I'm, do I, can I take just a couple more minutes? There's a woman at a well, 
mm, who goes to that well at the hottest part of the day. And she goes to that well at the hottest part of the day because when she gathers with all of the other women, the good and, uh, and um, upstanding women, when she goes to the well at that time, what she hears about herself is all the misinformation about how terrible her life is. And so what that woman does is she doesn't go to that well at the hottest part of the day because she doesn't want to be trapped in that cycle of oppression. She doesn't go to the well at the, hot, at the hottest part of, um, excuse me, at the part of the day when everyone else gathers. She goes to the well at the hottest time of the day. And it's at that time when she goes to the well at the hottest part of the day so she doesn't have to hear that story over and over again. There's a man who comes and meets a man named Jesus. And he breaks the cycle. And she hears about her life and its wholeness. Hmm. Awaken. That is our calling. That is your calling. I mean, you know, standing here looking at you, you're beautiful. You look really good. Your service is a wonderful liturgy. But that's not the only reason that we gather. We're called to embody the gospel and the love of Jesus Christ. And the way that Jesus reminds the disciples and he lifts up that child, he's reminding us. He's reminding us to embody the beloved love of God in Jesus Christ. So I'm going to end with my belief. My belief is that the church is the most powerful institution in the world. There's no other institution in the world that says it doesn't matter who you are, where you're from, what your orientation is, you are a child of God. And then when you come through the walls of this building and enter this thing that we call worship, you're welcome, you are safe, and you belong. You're a child of God. That's a powerful message that you convey with you. And it's not a welcome it's, um, it's not a message that's intended to be confined within the walls of this building. You carry with it into the places where you work, where you play, where you study, where you live out your everyday ministry. So the church is a place of welcome, safety, and belonging. And the other thing that the church does is the church is something that we call catechesis whether that's Sunday school, children's ministry, forums, sermon. And the church teaches about the reality of God. And then finally, what the church does, welcome, safety, and belonging, learning uh, cognitively, experientially, and all of its forms with poetry. <laughs> that, that learning um, deepens our understanding of who God is and how God rolls in the world. 
And then finally, is this thing that we are called to be, is disciples, witnesses, leaders, conveying God's love in the world. I invite you to think about that discipleship as the calling to be co-creators with God. Co-creators and care for the environment, co-creators and how we do our jobs, live out our vocations, co-creators and our voice. When we hear somebody telling a, a joke, that we know is that cycle again. When we have the opportunity to employ somebody who doesn't readily get employed because of that cycle again. When we hear or see public safety, policing, happening in a way that again is a perpetuation of that cycle. We're called to be disruptive. We're called to experience and remember that the gospel is disruptive. It's an invitation for everyone to experience the love of God in Christ Jesus. Thank you bless you. And may God continue to disrupt you or liberate you. Amen. As we close, we want to move into a time of silence. Uh, we we believe that the Spirit of God is at work when we gather and often says things that we don't say or intend to say. Um, and so I want to invite you to that time now um, to maybe hear what the Spirit may be saying to you. Uh, a couple things before you go that we want you to know about. Um, if you're uh, new to Awaken and not in a life group and you're interested in that, uh, there are a number of them that are starting. We've got some new leaders that are ready to rock and roll. So if you check out the website, click the life group tab, go through those and see if there's one that's near you and uh, maybe uh, has some open and available, available spots, which there are a few new ones. So you should know that. Second, uh, we have an every meal packing event. So um, a food dis distribution um, ministry that we partner with. On Thursday night, if you're interested in joining me, uh, I'll be up there. It's Thursday the 23rd from 5 to 7 p.m. Uh, the volunteer portal on their end is a little confusing, so if you want to go, just email me, okay, and I'll make sure you get the right thing so that you can be there. Uh, Micah at awakenwest7th.com. That's Thursday. There is an Enneagram seminar coming up Monday the 27th from 7 to 8.30 um, if you're not familiar with the Enneagram, um, uh, a spiritual tool to help kind of navigate yourself and the world. Uh, and this particular one is about spiritual practices and our, our numbers and sort of kind of how they relate with one another. So if you're interested in that, jane at awakenwest7th.com or you can just sign up online. Last but not least, friends, 
To kick off Sunday, we've got uh, nursery just opened this morning, which is exciting. Mandy's over in the parking lot, so if you got kiddos with you, I think there are donuts over there. At least there were supposed to be. Maybe they've got eaten. I don't know. But they're playing over there at Sandcastle. There's coffee outside, so stay. Enjoy each other. Enjoy the weather. Because um, we all know. Well, no. Enjoy the weather. <laughs> the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord lift up his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you his peace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The church said together, amen. Grace and peace, friends. See you next week. You can find us online at www.awakeningcommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Awaken Community. Or on Twitter, Awaken Community. See you next time.